1: Hi guys, welcome to POV, my therapist, the podcast where I vent, you listen, and you do not get period. Um, first off, right off the bat, I want to tell you that I literally only have, I think, one extra large pink sweater left, um, and the other sizes are running out very quickly. So, uh, if you want one, get one. If you want to give one to somebody that you love, um, you should. If you want to give your therapist a gift. I don't know if that's against the rules, but you should. Um, wouldn't that be so funny? You're giving your therapist or, like, the person you vent to so much a shirt that says POV, you're my therapist. That's so funny. You should do it. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, you can get a tote bag so you can carry all of your baggage throughout the year. You know, you can, you can, or even better since we're, you know, we're living a new life where we can take the things that we want to carry into the new year and put it into your POV or my therapist. To- that's what you totally should do. Like that meme of that girl that we see every year on Black Twitter. Zoo that, right? Right. <laughs> so um, this week, I actually want to talk about something that I don't think I've ever talked about at length on the podcast um but I'm excited to talk about and that is social media and like basically our current climate of social media because the internet is it's this thing that you literally is floating in the sky you can't see it you can't touch it but oh my god it can start wars that shit is crazy we had a little fat orange not that long ago that was literally threatening war every day for like four fucking years. Do you know how high my stress was? My stress was through the roof, okay? So the internet is like a very, it's a very permanent thing from what I can tell, unless the power goes out. Um, it's a very permanent thing from what I can tell. And, and you have to be really wise about how you engage with it is what I'm noticing. And I'm starting to realize that I need to step away from Twitter specifically um, because if these big corporations, and I'm not going to say like Vice was like a humongous corporation, but it was a corporation, these big companies, these big industry tastemakers can be knocked on the head and fall over like a giant with a little rock that is not meeting a budget and not having funding. You really have to consider like, what does the future of media look like? There was a time when they were saying films were dead because shows were the new thing. There was a time when they're saying cable was dead because we had streaming. Now they're saying streaming is dead because actually they're not even saying streaming is dead. What they're doing is all the streaming people are getting together and creating bundles, which at the end of the day, looks like cable, you know? Um, it's just the, the shows are not going back to back to back. Actually, if you have Netflix, they are because that autoplay is a bitch. But you know everything swings. It's on a pendulum, goes back and it goes forth. And one day what's cool is cool. The next day it's not. And the the other part of this conversation that I find humor in, but I know um, it's actually not that funny, is the part of is the Twitter aspect, is the Twitter of it all. Because I genuinely, you know, at first I was really annoyed because I was like, oh my God, Elon Musk is ruining Twitter. He sucks. Jack, why did you do this to us? I'm actually kind of glad that Jack sold Twitter because Twitter was ruining our minds. Twitter was ruining our fucking minds. And now, um, uh, Elon Musk has every intention to turn it into Tumblr. He's, uh, lengthening the post length, the character limit to 4,000, which is perfect for a manifesto for all of his fun followers, um, who love to go out and be in cells and hurt people. Um, so, you know, he's working in the favor of his peers. Um, yeah, so I'm honestly, I'm a little happy that, um elon musk is ruining the bird app because the bird app was ruining your minds i really actually okay this is the thing i attribute twitter to a lot of the issues that we have now you know like when there's people that clearly they're chronically online meaning they have not touched the grass in a long time and like the way they see the world is just so fucking skewed because there's no gray area and it's either it is or it isn't and like it's always like some crazy fucking take that you're just like I can't I can't there's so many people that are like that like this girl responded to one of my tweets the other day and I was just like and it was clearly like she was trying to instigate like some kind of conversation or discussion but I literally was just like you're not smart enough to talk to me number one like you're not smart enough to have a full-on debate with me you'd fall to pieces but also like it's not worth having a fucking debate. This is not going to add minutes to my life. And in fact, it's going to make me waste minutes of my life on you. And I don't want to, I don't want to. So we're not discussing anything. I'm going to pretend like I never saw you respond to my post and I'm going to chuck along. I'm going to move. I'm going to keep living my life. Like knowing I'm the smartest person in the room. Um, but yeah, so Twitter really like makes me like seeing the things people tweet and the takes they have and like, and the thing that always like really, I know, I just know when somebody has just lived their life online is their inability to forgive. They cannot forgive anything at all. In this world, you must be perfect. You must have never made a mistake You must have never tweeted something crazy. You must have never, ever, ever, ever stepped out of line. Ever. Your views changed? No, they didn't. Liar. You're faking it. You tweeted this in 2008. Now we know who you really are. 22 years ago. What? 12 years ago. No, no, <laughs> wait a minute, 22 minus eight, mm-hmm. 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 anyways, now they're like, now we know who we, you really are, now we know your true intentions on the world wide web, okay, like, seeing things like that, I'm almost just like, bro, I can't even like, I can't even be a part of this, And I think the thing is, like, because I see a lot of people, like, they just let the negativity out. It's, like, I don't know if, like, you've ever had a dog, like, nip at you, like, bark. Like, it's very quick. It's very fast. It's very agile. Like, a lot of, like, these negative reactions from people are very quick, very agile, very specific. And that specificity is what lets you know that, like, they're, like, this shit been sitting on their chest. Like, they have not processed a single bit of, like, healing to make this feeling that they're having, go away. They've not processed it, none of that. And the way I see Twitter a lot of times, and like I've stopped tweeting a lot um, because I just, I, I find that it's too easy to voice my negative thoughts. It's just too easy to voice my negative thoughts. And like the thing is, like that really blew my mind, Twitter gave people close friends, okay? Twitter gave people close friends and by and by definition of close friend that means somebody who has seen you at your worst honey (laughs) okay no makeup you looking like a raccoon's asshole all right you looking ugly all right it's not your shining moment and that physically but also spiritually when you know, maybe you're down in the dumps and you're just feeling a little extra negative, that your close friends have seen that. And a good close friend calls you out on that. Don't call When my friends are acting a little tuned, I'm like, girl, you really you are a low vibrational chicken wing plate right now, bitch. You are mac and cheese, you are collard greens, you are sweet potato pie, you are uh, and all y'all the yams is touching everything. You being real low vibrational right now, and you need to get it together. That's what a close friend is. Twitter gave y'all that to maybe help you not get canceled. But y'all, y'all just love spreading hate. You know, y'all just love voicing every single negative thought in that little noggin of yours. And and all the time I see people get that. Ass chewed out on Twitter. And I'm like, you could have just put that in your close friends. You could have put it in your close friends. But instead, you wanted people to see that. You wanted the person that you're talking about to see that. You couldn't You couldn't just say it in a private space and move on. You wanted someone to get their feelings hurt by that. And I feel like Twitter as a concept just makes it too easy easily available to be negative to be argumentative to not mind your fucking business to be all up in everybody else's business to put all your business outside of your business and it's just like uh, 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 uh. it's a trap it's a trap and it's crazy to me how many people fall for this trap daily daily look at the nurses who lost their job because of tic tac You lost a whole stream of income because of your tic-tac because you're having a discussion that honestly, maybe, okay, seeing the fallout and seeing people talk about those specific nurses, how terrible they've been in their care, deserve firing because you shouldn't be a nurse if you feel that way or think that way. But there's a lot of complaints that people have about their jobs that are legitimate, that are very legitimate, but also in something that's so sensitive as health care and something that you take a Hippocratic oath and something that people's lives are literally in your hands. Those complaints are complaints you do at home to your spouse when you're off the clock, when you're talking to your friends. You don't harbor that resentment and show it out at work of all places. Girl, you could have a job that you do nothing. You still have the right to complain about it. Complaining about it, however, to the face of the people that you are serving, no, no. And it's very immature to me to do that, okay? Um, And especially, like, I don't, it was just, anyway, so that was a mess. But, um, but, uh, what was I, where was I going with this? Where was I going with this? But yeah, Twitter just makes it a little bit too easy to air yourself out. And... You know, I look really good today. I ain't gonna lie to y'all. I look delish mm. I look like real good. I'm sorry, I got a because I caught a glimpse of myself in the in the camera. And I just look real good, you know what I'm saying? When I was in middle school, was it middle school? In high school? No. When I was in high school, we read a book called Lord of the Flies. And Lord of the Flies is a book about a group of boys, like English soccer boys, their children, and their plane crashes and they get stuck on an island. Um, The book explores the concept of the id, the ego and the super ego. And I'm going to explain to you what all of those things are. Okay, and this is based on Freud's psychoanalytic theory so the id is primitive and the instinctual part of the mind that contains sexual and aggressive drives and hidden memories okay the super ego operates a moral conscience and the ego is the realistic part that mediates the desires of the id and the super ego twitter is the id okay uh, the ego is your fucking fingers and the super ego is the mind that you've completely shut off to just let the id and the ego do all the talking. Like, I think it's just, it's literally a, an absolute easy, I'm like pretending to type. It's an absolutely too easy bridge between your most instinctual reaction your most childish emotion, uh, like your most animalistic feelings. It's very feeling driven. It's these little angry feelings that like you have no control over. It's just, it's, it's not taking the accurate steps to go from negative thought to, why do I feel like that? To, you know, this is justified. I'm gonna act out. No, it's going negative thought phone. Less than 140 characters. We've done a great job of summarizing. Now we're really good at summarizing. Just, ew, you're fat. No thought. Send. What? What? Like, there's not a single part of like, of it's like it takes away that boundary between you and the negative thing that you're gonna say and the person you're saying it to you are saying it just negative thought out negative thought into the world fuck if it affects anybody and that timeline moving so quickly it's instinctual it's easy peasy you don't even have to think about it and fuck if it fucks up that other person who gives a fuck i don't know I'm never going to see that person again. I just hit send tweet. And my shitty opinion is outside of my ugly, stupid two little brain cells just rubbing fire sticks together and making a thought. Like, honestly, to an extent, I'm kind of glad that like Elon Musk, you know, is like showing his whole coochie right now on Twitter because he doesn't know what he's doing. He's really dumb. And he's going to drive it into the ground or it's maybe it won't be driven into the ground, but it's definitely going to become like a hotbed. It's going to become like 4chan. Like it's going to become a hotbed for incels and angry people and hateful people and right wingers and all that. And you know what? They can have it. They can have it because... They can feel the need to bolster themselves up because they feel like they've made a community on Twitter. And, you know, the normal people, hopefully we leave before our brain gets more rotten than it already is. But I'm kind of glad because I feel like Twitter is going to turn into nothing. It's going to just die off. And hopefully it'll save what's left of people's moral compass. Taking away, I think, that bufferless brain to, like phone transaction, I think would be a very good thing. I think having to think, I think if you want to cuss somebody out, if you want to say some negative shit to somebody, girl, you need to get a quill, a feather quill, dip that bitch in ink, write it out in cursive, seal it, fold that letter up, seal it, pour some candle wax, stamp it, find a bird, clamp it to the bird's ankle, And send that bird off to uh, cuss that person out. If from the beginning of that, you getting a quill, uh, dipping it in ink to sending the carrier pigeon away, you are still pissed. Your anger is rightfully deserved, to be honest. If your anger withstands that, all of that effort, cuss them out call them fat. Can you can you imagine a bird fucking flying into you and being like, I have a message for you. And you open it and it says, you fat, ugly bitch. Fuck you. That's all. If somebody sent that to me and they went through all of that prop trauma, like oh, trauma, lol. I'm tra- traumatized now. If somebody did that to me and they went through all of the trouble of doing that, I would be like, damn, I did something to deserve that for real. But if it's not worth it, then, you know, it was just a a small thought. It was a id. It was that instinctual thing that for some people is negativity. And you did it, or you wanted to do it, you thought about all the steps it would take to get it out there into the world. And you said, I have better things to do. Let me go walk or listen to a song or whatever. But I think like social media has really taken away that buffer of you know, self control and like a moral compass. And it's just made people be a little too instinctive and working out of their id and not even touching the ego or the superego. Super ego needs a lot of control, needs a lot of restraint, It needs a lot of weighing your options. And to be honest, I think this podcast is, like, very super ego because we come here and we talk about how we feel and we talk about why we feel these things and we navigate all of our feelings and, like, our our emotional compass and, like, what are the downsides of this decision? What are the upsides of this decision? And a lot of the times, the things that are very instinctive that we feel are as easy as pulling the trigger when we're mad, they're not good decisions, they're horrible decisions. So all of that is to say, be a little bit more mindful when you're on the internet, please. Um, but yeah, so to a degree, we should be thanking Elon Musk for removing that disgusting little piece of society. And hopefully it all falls to shit. And I hope it does. Um, yeah, the second part of this is a complete takedown of Elon Musk, uh, because we always have to talk about men at some point in this podcast. And he's the perfect thing I want to talk about today. I found a lot of joy watching him get booed at Dave Chappelle's show. I don't know if you did, but I did. And I think the thing that I love about this non-existent character arc, but seeming hopeful downfall of yet another overzealous, annoying, lame rich white man is that he's being publicly embarrassed Ugh, i have an embarrassment kink as long as i'm not the one getting embarrassed i love and as long as the person getting embarrassed deserves it mm, rile me the fuck up okay so elon musk i already know like what's going on in his stupid ugly little brain he clearly was somebody who did not have a lot of friends in high school or the people that he wanted to be friends with had no interest in being his friend he started balding really young Mm -hmm. we've all seen that picture um and now all of a sudden he has a head of hair no he definitely has a bald spot somewhere on like his back thigh from that hair transplant um but yeah um yeah and I know I just talked about the id and the superego and the ego. This is not my id talking because this is very much premeditated. And he deserves it. So, um, do as I say, not as I do. Per. Um, but anyways, Elon Musk is a bad person and he deserves to be called bald and ugly. So, um, yeah. So, he clearly had a rough time, uh, getting along with his peers. And... What I've noticed a lot about, like, men who have a lot to prove, they had issues in school. Their peers didn't like them. The girl they wanted never liked them. They weren't popular. They weren't cool. They were most likely the exact opposite. What I've realized about them is that they do this, like, uh, they're going through in, like, their life, right? They're, they're looking at their life and they're trying to figure out what's the thing that's making people not like me. And, of course, the first thing they always go to is, like, oh, I'm broke, No, he's had money his whole life. Okay, so, but he's like, I'm the, I have to be the richest man. I have to be the billionaire. So obviously he's like, I'm a fucking billionaire. He was a billionaire, okay? And then he's like, I need to be cool. I need to do something cool. He builds cars that are fugly. They look like roaches. So sorry if you have a Tesla. No offense to you. I think most cars look like bugs. Some cars look like ladybugs, The cutesy little ladybug. But some cars look like roaches and Teslas are one of them. So he makes a car. He's like I'm so cool. I am the coolest guy to ever cool. He's still not cool. The general public doesn't really give a shit about him. But then he finds Twitter. This is like the incel like book right now. So then he finds Twitter and he has like this whole community of fanboys who's like Elon, I love you dude. Like I want to make love to you. You're so awesome. I would totally go gay for Elon. And they're like, I love you. Like, marry me, Elon. I love you so much. Like, it's so homoerotic. I love watching it. So they're like all up in Elon's grill. They love him. And they're like praising him on the internet. And they're like, I love you. I love you. I love you. And then we were quarantined for two years. And that's when like, you know, um, Bitcoin and like, uh, what is that shit called? Um, cryptocurrency, yeah, what's that shit called? Um, crypto like really skyrocketed. Became, you know, people were making a lot of money. People were like, I'm rich. I'm rich in non-existent money. And like, honestly, there's no reason for regular people to have crypto. Like, most of the people who are buying crypto, really, the people who are funding crypto and keeping that market going, they will be there when the general public is interested in crypto. When that general interest in crypto has just gone away. Because you know why? You know who they are? They're arms dealers. They're terrorists. They're people who are in shady business. They're not trying to have every little bit of money that they have taxed by the government. Or even looked at what they're purchasing by the government. That's a whole different conversation. That we're not going to fall into. Because that's not what this is about. Um, so... Elon is like, oh my god, oh my guys love me. I am the coolest guy ever. I am so rich, I'm so cool. I am Elon Musty. So, um, keep that in mind. Put that to the side, right? So then he like marries a model, still not cool. Um he has a baby with a pop star, still He's not, he's not satisfied, like, he's not feeling cool enough, like, he's feeling that something is missing, like, there's really something missing, you know, deep down inside. So he's, like, fucking models, fucking pop stars, making cars, buying cars, spending a lot of money. I'm a billionaire. I'm so rich. I have so much money. I'm so rich and so cool. But I feel so sad. I feel so empty inside. What's going on? So, obviously, the next thing you do is buy the coolest, most popular app on the market. Because it's never made a profit. And you're like, I'm going to make it a profit. And you're like, this will complete me. Yeah, this is this is definitely going to fix all of my daddy issues. This is going to fix all of my mommy issues, too. I'm going to do it. And it's going to be amazing. And... When I announce it, my cheering fanboys are going to be like, yes, Elon, we love you so much. I love you so much. And I'm finally going to feel good. Not once during this entire thing have I considered that perhaps my personality is the problem. That perhaps I'm just an asshole. But then, you know, my ego gets a little inflated because my fanboys are telling me how perfect I am, how great I am, how cute I am. I'm just amazing. So then I get like super confident and then I go on stage with an amazing, cool black comedian because every cool white guy needs a black friend. Duh. So I get on stage with him and I'm like, yay, I'm so cool. I'm awesome. What's that I hear? a chorus, a chapel of booze, they're booing, you're booing, you're booing at me, Elon Musty, there's no way, there's no way, so obviously like my anxiety is through the roof right now, no it can't be right like my fanboys like they love me like everybody loves me everyone loves me so what do i do now what do i do now i totally fucking lose it i totally lose it and i grab my mic this is literally what he did and i scream i'm fucking rich bitch congrats like you're still an asshole though like you're still lame you're still not cool because as many as as often and as many of your fanboys as you have and how often they tell you that you're the best and you're so smart and you're so cool and you're going to take everybody to Mars and you're amazing and you have cool black friends like Kanye and Dave Chappelle, as often as everybody on the internet that has conglomerated together in one space you're following And your mentions tell you you're amazing. There is still a general public that your followers are spread thinly throughout. So you may not be welcome everywhere you go. That was a fun retelling. (laughs) But yeah, so um, I've been thinking a lot about that because they all some, you know, it might seem like they have nothing to do with each other, but they have a lot to do with each other. Um, You know, a lot of social media is run by ego-driven small men. Um, And I, the best part of this was that I forgot to mention that Elon even got a BBL to make the general public like him. Uh, Daddy got a liposuction and he was just made fun of. And it really sucked for him. And I honestly, I don't want to get too off track, but Drake is the same way. Aubrey Drake, our Canadian sister. He's the same way, except he goes about it in just a completely different direction. That is equally mind-boggling. It is equally mind-boggling, <laughs> except the way Drake does it. He does it with a lot of sass and a lot of vavavoom, and he always does it from like he's not these guys like people like Elon. I feel like their masculinity is constantly threatened and that's a lot of the root of their insecurity is their masculinity is constantly threatened. I know for a fact, okay, I don't know for a fact because I was there, duh. I was in the Musk, ooh, that was a shout, bitch, because I was there, duh. I was in the Musk mansion, obviously, when Elon's daddy said, you're not a man, um, I wasn't clearly, I wasn't even born, but it would be like, there's girl, there's ways that people act that you're like, Oh, your daddy definitely called you out your name more than once, more than once. Cause this is, this is like, you're overcompensating for your masculinity. You're, you're grasping at growth hormone right now. You're grasping. You are begging for it. Like, you are needing the val- male validation real bad. The thing with Drake is, I don't really think he's concerned about male validation. That's what, like, kind of, like, mind boggles me about him. But, like, he he's still a little bitch, though. I don't lie. Because he's just a little too deep into women's business. But Drake and Elon, like, they really remind me of each other. They really do. And not in a good way. Not at all. Not at all. But, um... And that's saying a lot because I love Drake until he opened his yonker, until he opened his big mouth and he had to get up in Megan's business. And then I haven't listened to him since. And like and that really sucked because my favorite song, my retired favorite song was by him. And now I can't. It's just not the same. You know, it's not the same because like I will support my ladies every day of my life. Thank you for the reminder. I will support my ladies every day of my life. And I'm not just going to accept a man being shitty just because he made a good song. I'm not going to do that. I respect my ladies. I love my ladies. And I would never, ever support a man who didn't feel the same. So, yeah, um, damn, that was a conversation, huh? That we went, I really, I'm going to have to edit a lot of uh, my stuttering out. And, you know, I'm so nice for that because there's so many podcasts I listen to that all you hear is like, um, so, like, but I edit out, even though I know it sounds like I'm doing a lot of it. I edit, ooh, damn, I edit out a lot. I just swiped, so I have bangs, clippings, because I told y'all. Last episode, I told y'all niggas that I was not letting this fucking bitch who ruined my goddamn eyebrows get away with it. And I was going to get bangs. I got bangs. Um, I just literally swiped my bang the wrong way. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to pause and then do my outro, period. Period. But, um, yeah, so I know today was, like, kind of a different conversation, but it was just something that I've been thinking about, because, you know, media is a big part of my life, and, like, before I got in front of the camera, I was behind the camera, and I loved being behind the camera. I always thought I was going to do, like, documentary films. Like, if I was going to go the digital media route, I definitely was going to focus on documentary-style films, um, mostly probably about crime and, like, music and, like, the intersection of the two. Um, I was not like really a big, like food person like that, like for documentary style. I feel like I would just gain weight and never make a single documentary. Um, but I, it was a very big part of my life. Like I have credits on documentaries that I worked on and that was really cool. And it was a really cool experience. And I think one of the most memorable experiences that I had working in digital media was, oh my God, I have two actually. The first one was, um, the first time I ever went into the New York times building that I really love that. That was amazing. Everything. I still remember it to this day. I don't know if they've changed buildings, but the last time I went in there, all the walls were white. The decor was magnifica. Um, and they had pictures of every single person that had ever been in the times building on the wall, like with an autograph by them, and like it was a black and white picture, it was just very pristine, very clean. Like it obviously, it, we went to a meeting room, so obviously it was very nice, like a conference room. But um, and I can only imagine what like where the desks and stuff were, what that looked like. But it was just very. I was like, wow, like I really like it here, um and I don't know. Like it was just one of those very grounding moments that it was like. This is hundreds, hundreds of, this is decades of news, of life-changing events. And it happened in this building. Um, these very real people touched these things. Like, it was just, I don't know, it was an amazing thing. Um, and then my second most memorable, because uh, I, I only put a second because it was sad, but um we did a documentary for the and I don't want to say anniversary because it wasn't happy his name was Sean Bell we did a documentary on Sean Bell and he was killed by the NYPD um at his bachelor party he was killed on his wedding day actually and he was shot 50 times and um literally for no fucking reason like he didn't commit a crime or anything the officers that were there misunderstood some of their conversation and they thought that a shooting was about to happen so they just didn't ask questions shot 50 times at a group of black guys and killed uh him on his wedding day and We did a documentary about him, and we interviewed his widow. And that was, I get chills, because that was just, like, the most solemn, sad thing. And, like, you know, this moment that was supposed to be a new beginning for two people to become one ended up literally being the end of it. Um, And it ripped this person from someone who loved him very much from a family who loved him very much and yeah and that was like that was I remember that clearly I have terrible memory but I remembered everything about that shoot literally I remember the place we rented I remember the um the setup I remember like walking to go get snacks I remember Just because there was, like, just such a heaviness around that day. And there was just a really big heaviness around that day. And, um... But, yeah. It was one of those moments when, like, you realize that you are making something great. And not great as in good, but ginormous, but big. Something with a lot of impact and weight. And... um. And I remember that that was something that I always, I always wanted to do that. I wanted to create great things that would stick with people for a long time. Um, but yeah, so I just wanted to talk about that. Wanted to ponder on that. Um, I've always appreciated the arts, clearly. Um, but it, you know, it's, it's a sad time There were so many people who, like, their dreams revolved around these places that revolved around Complex, the magazine, um, and the network, and vice, and it's, it's sad, but I know talking to, and talking to one of my friends who, she was laid off, I also think it's a great opening for people to use what they've learned, and take those skill sets somewhere else, somewhere where there are more, where they where a higher value is placed on them, for sure, for sure. Um, over the weekend, if you're not, if you don't keep up with like the digital publications that are in New York and stuff like that, um, you're not going to know this. But over the weekend, um, m- a bunch of people who worked at the food, uh, the f- the food side of Vice which was called munchies they got laid off a bunch of them got laid off and a couple of them were my friends and over the years like I've watched as like a lot of my friends got laid off from like jobs and digital media and and if you know anything about me you also know that digital media is kind of like where I I don't want to say I got my start but it's definitely a place that helped me like Curate a vision of what I wanted to explore in my career for sure And I always say that if I stayed in New York in 2016 I would have a very different life Um, I'd be making a lot of money Or maybe I would have gotten laid off, who the fuck knows Uh, the way things are looking But yeah, so I, let's, we're gonna create this scene here We're gonna create this scene It's 2016 um divine is in her masculine energy dead ass in her masculine energy she all she she wears the same i had like four pairs of the same black trousers yes trousers not pants cuz they were trousers um and i would alternate between my vans this is like not who i am anymore but that's who i was i would alternate between my vans my white converse that the minute I moved home my mother threw away and a pair of black ankle boots and I would wear like whatever kind of t-shirt I needed to wear in a jacket like it was very easy like I I had to, I had to figure it out okay my my outfit stuff I had to figure it out there was no color it was black white green um gray um, more dark forest green so And I had a wig. I had a wig on, yeah. The wig was not slaying. Not at all. But um, during that time, like, it was just a very easy look for me but it's 2016 that's divine's look i wear glasses i have a medusa piercing that's true and i am i really want to work in digital media like i want to work advice like that's like my dream job is to work advice like i cannot tell you the amount of times that i've applied advice or that i applied during those times um or during that time because i really wanted to be a part of that world and to an extent, I was a part of that world because I worked at or I interned at Complex for a little while and then I worked at another um, film thing in New York and that was really cool. But um, but I that time in my life, I think it shaped so much of, like, my brain. It shaped a lot about how I view food and, like, music and film and, like, photography and, like, skateboarders. Anyways, um, all of that just... It it kind of formed into like divine's mind, and there's the train. That's the train on the wheels on my bus go round and round. I'm so sorry. That's not even a bus. That's a train. So during that time, like there was, it was like this big, like vice complex, all of these digital media publications in New York, Bon Appetit, they were like a, it was the cross section of food, music, like skateboarding like this very underground culture that I was really into and that I was very interested in and like weed you literally cannot forget about weed um that was like such a major point of the conversation where like it was really mind-blowing for a lot of younger people like people my age because I think that was the first time like we realized, oh my God, like there is like this underbelly of culture and like, and it was so interesting to watch documentaries and shows on Viceland that like me and my mom would watch like um, these shows about like weed and, and like cooking with weed and smoking weed. And we had no interest in smoking or anything like that. And to this day, like I still don't smoke, like it's not my thing. But, um, but it was just very cool to be able to see other people's experiences and their their lives like right in front of you and like and it was so raw and it was so real and it was really cool and i definitely felt like it was a shift in culture and that it was just i don't know it was providing a voice for a very cool generation of people so i really wanted to be a part of that applied advice a million times um i even like went to like a couple of like their openings in like brooklyn and stuff taking the train and being like oh my god why is there a river (laughs) like I don't know why but like in my head like it just didn't make I don't know it never it it never clicked that like New York and Manhattan and like Brooklyn and like Queens are surrounded by water either way so that was like a big part of my life for a while and like, oh my god, like <laughs> I don't like cooking but like I would love to date a chef because like I, girl, like I would love to date a chef. Not because like I actually like to eat because I actually find eating very annoying. Um, it's one of my least favorite things to do unless I'm in the mood to eat but like eating every day is very taxing and annoying to me um, which is amazing because like you would not think that because I'm fat but the truth is I have like one single metabolite. Just trying to like work my body, you know what I'm saying? She's suffering. She's going through it. It's whatever. But um, but like I loved like chefs like Maddie Matheson and Action Bronson, who like I listened to. And one time I met Action Bronson in um New York, and like I was like, wow, I love him. And I met his friend Big Body Best, and like we was exchanging looks. Like I was like, you're cute. Like he's cute, you know. Um, but, um, but yeah, so, like, I really love that, and I, and I thought, like, you never think that, like, those things are gonna end, because they are so, they're so grounded in reality, but also they at a point it becomes, like, so much of what your world revolves around, like, I got my news from Vice, I got recipes from Munchies, I got my music, I would watch Noisy and, like, discover new artists and stuff like that, my friends worked there, like, so it was a constant conversation that, like, kept going, and, like, you never think it's gonna end, and, like, it's, and seeing the fact that it has ended, and, like, so many of my friends who this was their dream job, and, like, this was also my dream job, and, like, now that possibility doesn't exist, and, you know, seeing my friends who they've had their dream job and, like, it's just ended. And, like, I think the thing that's always been really scary for people and, like, just the fact that, like, a lot of people have just ignored and or tried not to think about is that for some reason, like, there just is no money in digital media. And there's not a lot of money in digital media at all. And you can go broke chasing this dream of being, like, a person who, you know, like who is a part of that culture? Like you can really go broke. New York is expensive and you don't get paid a lot to do these things because there's no fucking budget. Like at any time your job can just be ripped away from you. That's security. I don't know if you ever really have that in media like that. Cause it's not like some rich old guy is like, yeah, take my money and like make a movie. You know what I'm saying? It's not like that at all. And, and every quarter every year like there's different challenges and like over the last couple of years i and especially like when twitter came out with that news panel where you get your news from twitter i know i definitely stopped reading new york times new yorker viceland all of them i i just didn't have to i didn't need to and then some of them started getting a paywall and i'm like all right i'm two articles deep and it's been a week I got to wait next week for my articles. Like, I'm not going to pay to read. And there's a lot of people who, like, have issues with paywalls and stuff like that. But at the same time, it's like, you have to support the things that you like. And I'm not in the position to support a lot of the things that I like. But if I was, I would. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if you guys listen to NPR. But every year on NPR, they have, like, a week of fundraising where literally after every news segment, after every show, it's just being, like... We love providing you with culture and content, but to keep doing what we have to do, you need to donate to NPR. Like they do this for a slick week, and like they're telling you, like how much people are donating, how much they're off from their goal. Like, you know, because NPR is a publicly owned station, so it keeps going because people give money to the kinds of things. They give money to those kinds of organizations because it costs money to do this stuff. Like it really does. Like I <laughs> listen, I had the unfortunate um, realization of how expensive it is to be an entrepreneur the other day and that like taxes are great. Sure. But I also understood for two seconds until I like started doing more math how Netflix's taxes can equal out zero every year. Um, because I, you always hear things like, uh, yeah, Netflix doesn't make a profit and you're like, how, how, come like, I have an Netflix subscription. There's $12. You have that, you know, you always hear those things, but then you also think about like how much money they're dishing out. But that's, listen, that's if we lived in an ideal world, okay, where if, if in our earnest the money that Netflix was dishing out actually went towards what it was supposed to go but it wouldn't be surprising to me if like people were in an inflating cost of movies so you know people can get paid under the table and stuff like that but that's a conversation for a different day that we're not going to go into but a lot of organizations like they say that they don't make a profit and that the the um the taxes equal out to zero every year and like yeah maybe it does after you pay the CEO of Netflix 100 million dollars yeah taxes equal out to zero you know um, but so there's, but in New York, like there's been this thing where like, there's no money in, um, public media. And so that happened over the weekend and like, and it really got me thinking because I was just like, damn, like if something that seems so, and I know Viceland and Vice and Munchies and Noisy, all of those publications, they're not necessarily old, but they've been here since like the 80s I'm gonna say they feel like a cornerstone of media so it's kind of scary like when you're looking at it and like these things are crumbling away and it starts making it, it started making me ask like what are gonna in a couple of years like what's going to be the foundation of media like what is that going to look like because there there were cycles there were trends but these trends are moving so quickly and it's really scary like being a content creator and i don't even like that word but it is what i am being a content creator being somebody that creates media for consumption and hopefully for revenue wink wink go buy yourself a t-shirt um, being somebody that makes that, it's a very scary conversation because I don't know if there will ever be another wave of Addison Rays and Charlie Demilio's. Um, I don't think like right now I don't know if that's possible with TikTok because. All of these, like, them, like, they, specifically, a case study, let's do it right now, they got off, they got famous, like, off making a dance, like, you know, Charlie did Renegade and then it went viral and all that. Um, Somebody else who got a lot of clout from making a dance, but did not reach anywhere near the level of fame or money that charlie did and it was the girl who made the say so dance and i know that charlie d'amelio did not make renegade she didn't make the dance i know she didn't that was a a black girl and i think her name is alia and she's from atlanta i see her face in my head cannot think of her last name to save my life and there you go that's another issue the person who made the dance doesn't even have the level of fame that charlie does i think charlie made the dance go viral if i'm wrong Say it in the comments. Okay. Um, But I think even after that, that was like a once in a blue moon thing. There's a lot of people who've made a lot of careers out of TikTok specifically, but I think we're getting to the point where it's you can't just get garner fame off of like a dance Um, or I don't know, like just being cute on TikTok. Uh, Because there has to be something else. There has to be something else that creates like longevity. And I've realized that like, I don't know if there will ever be another like Charlie D'Amelio because you have to have like an ethos and something that you, you make people come back for, whether it's like even Tabitha, like she has an ethos. She, her whole ethos is like, make this the most beautiful day you've ever lived. Tabitha Brown you know let this be the happiest moment of your life whatever moment that is everything will be okay it's it's an ethos of complete positivity it's not just wanting to be this person and like even people like Addison Rae like there's been so many pivots and pivots and pivots and how like people have to go about social media that I'm like looking at this like kind of like from the back of the room and I'm like scared um because you know before it was YouTube that's how you got famous and then you had Instagram that's how you got famous and then for like I don't know still now and I don't even maybe I missed this moment but Twitter for a minute like was getting people writing jobs and a lot of shit um and then there was TikTok and TikTok made a lot of people famous and it's like you know it's it's all a wheel it's a pendulum so it goes one way it comes back the next and now I'm seeing conversations about people saying that you know people are getting tired of scrolling for seven seconds 15 seconds and that's true I'm hating like the short form content, it's very annoying to me because I'm like, I want to watch something that keeps me captivated while I do this chore. And I think I mentioned it like a couple weeks ago. It's been like the British PBS. I don't Anyways, but that's why I think a lot of people are going back into podcasting and onto YouTube because it's a long form of content that people are craving. Like people's brain right now is rotten like rotten like the attention span is nil like it's gone like I don't know about you but I don't have an attention span I'm struggling just to like remember to breathe like each breath is a challenge because I'm like oh what was I doing all right right. now exhale Mm, nice good 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 um but you know, social media and all of these things are changing so freaking fast. And it's really scary to think about where things are going to go. There's no map like there's no real way. I mean, you can be like, Oh, yeah, TikTok is on and popping right now post five videos a day. But that doesn't guarantee that you're going to have an audience that you're going to retain the audience that you know, things are going to work out the way you want them to and I think you have to be really smart about how you go about creating content and what kind of content you put out there and who you're presenting yourself to be because the internet as we know is a ruthless ruthless place but um yeah so that was today's episode um I have a meeting in 20 minutes and I want to make and eat a sandwich before then because I'm starving um but yeah, if you haven't already, get yourself a shirt, get yourself a piece of merch, um, and I'll write you a love letter, and I actually do write love letters, just so you know, I write love letters in every order I get, I've written so many love letters, and you know I have carpal tunnel and arthritis, so that's really hard for me, Um, and I put some stickers in there, although I'm out of stickers right now, I think. But yeah, I love you so much, babes. Um, Follow me on Instagram at vinephilo, V-I-N-E-P-H-I-L-O. Twitter is the same, but I don't know how long we're going to be on that little app, that little hellscape. Mm. And um, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, go ahead and subscribe. Give me a thumbs up. And if you're watching on Spotify or Apple Music, go ahead and leave me a rating or a review. Um, I love you so much. It is a great day to feel amazing. That's what I wanted to say. But I will talk to you later. I love you so much. Goodbye.